0: Everybody. Welcome to week two of Nintendo Month here on the Supermercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Thanks for joining us
1: everyone. This is the podcast where we share and
0: discuss only the very
1: best in video game music and we're really excited to be back. Week two of Nintendo Month. Uh, today we're going to be focusing on the DS, the Nintendo DS. Really I think it's the number one selling handheld system of all time so that's pretty cool. There's a huge well of good music to draw from. Uh,
0: I think I may have forgotten to mention, but my name is Carl Brueggemann. (laughs) And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. I also, because you didn't mention, I forgot as well. We both forgot. Yeah. Well, you know, it's crazy about doing an episode on the DS. It kind of makes me feel old in a sense because I really remember when it was brand new and it was this whole... Revelation. I, I mean, definitely I do. I remember the time of the DS and the Wii, it kind of felt like we were living in the future. Because it's these incredibly popular Nintendo consoles for, you know, the home console and the handheld both had these really innovative, clever, imaginative uh, interfaces. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting now that we see sort of the direction of how, you know, motion controls didn't really take off as um, an enduring experience it sort of was I guess a phase and touchscreen, obviously um, has become uh, the norm now in all of our devices and I think a yeah. lot of people forget that really the first successful touch device was, was the, DS. the Nintendo DS. Um, and th- because of its success as a console, there were just so many incredible games and incredible titles that were released for that platform. It really kind of was like... It's staggering. Um, yeah, it was like the next uh, iteration of the Game Boy. It was that popular and that ubiquitous. Well, it was also the
1: first kind of, obviously the first foray into the dual screen idea. And Nintendo really kind of was stubborn to make that be, like, successful for them. Because, I mean, obviously the DS was incredibly successful, but they continued the dual-screen idea with the 3DS, and even with the Wii U, you know, the idea of a dual-screen experience. I wonder when they're going to stop. I guess maybe now, I guess, is when, is when they're done with that idea. Um But it was definitely a fun one.
0: Yeah, lasted. it looks like with the Nintendo Switch, it's two screens that need not interact with one another
1: yeah so let's just give a couple of stats before we get into some wonderful music today so the the whole playlist today is going to be nothing but nintendo ds uh it was released in 2004 and it pretty much had a 10-year lifespan till about 2014 was when it was available and it sold when you combine all the different models it sold 154 million units so yeah the best-selling handheld console to date um yeah so let's get into it there's there's so much awesome music today. So what's interesting about we've done this before in Nintendo Months when we do an episode on a specific system like I think GBA was was some year not last year but maybe the year before. Um, And what's interesting is it's not all Nintendo music today. It's just on a Nintendo platform. So a little bit more diversity maybe than you would expect, uh, which is cool. But there's still some great Nintendo stuff. So what you guys heard playing in was a track. We had to do a Pokemon track. That was from Pokemon Diamond and Pearl, which is a great soundtrack. That was Research Lab, a beautiful piano ballad composed by Go Ichino's. And that was uh, what played in. So, you know what? I think we could all use a little bit of a pick-me-up right now. Let's start with just a really happy, fun piece of music that's going to make us start to feel good today. This is from Kirby Squeak Squad, and it was composed by Hirokazu Ando, Juni Shikawa, as well as Tadashi Ikigami. Let's take a listen to Having Fun Outside. so happy you guys are listening to having fun outside this is from kirby squeak squad which is obviously released for the nintendo ds and it was composed by ando ishikawa and ikigami a lot of ds games actually in the kirby series there's canvas curse um i think maybe one other there's i think three total if i'm not mistaken uh squeak squad has a really cool score it feels like uh definitely kind of Carrying the torch from things like Dreamland 3 and Superstar. Uh, a lot of good original music. I I wasn't actually a huge fan of the soundtrack to Canvas Curse. The game is really cool, but uh, I think the soundtrack to Squeak
0: Squad is a little bit stronger. This just feels like a classic Kirby theme. This is absolutely classic uh, Kirby. You know, it's funny, just a few weeks ago we were playing some music from Kirby Planet uh, Robobot. Yeah. Uh, and so, and you know, recently we've also been playing some of the SNES Kirby music, and another little plug for our upcoming Gamers Rhapsody show. We may or may not have uh, a classic Kirby track that we're playing in our live band, so there's definitely been that kind of Kirby sound on the mind lately. So it's really nice to focus on this because. Um, I think these soundtracks don't necessarily get as much attention, especially not anymore, because this isn't. No longer is this really a modern Kirby soundtrack, mm-hmm. but it's not also old enough to be part of that kind of uh, retro corpus that we, you know, consider to be the NES and the 16 bit sure. uh, titles, but listening to it musically, and really honestly, even the sound of um, the instruments. I know the DS technically we might um, talk a little bit about uh, how sound is utilized in uh, different games, but um, yeah. just the aesthetic qualities of this piece—it really doesn't feel that far off from what you got on the Super Nintendo. So it still feels like it's connected to that lineage of kind of those primitive. Well, samples. and that makes—and we're going to hear that a
1: lot today because there's a lot of linkage between the SNES and the DS. Uh, the types of games that you get seem to be very similar you know kind of like the next generation of those kinds of games and sound chip wise audio wise it's it's all these kind of custom samples very similar sound technology to the snes i would say that um seems to be a little bit better fidelity on the ds a little bit room for for you know really the sound to to be better than what you had on the SNES. that doesn't always happen though which is interesting and there were examples of ports of uh, you know, Nintendo does this a lot of times. They port you know a classic game, and a lot of times when that happened, it actually
0: the DS version ended up sounding a little worse than the Super Nintendo. But uh, well, the same thing a lot happened of with the Game Boy Advance, or a lot of SNES um, ports, and right. the way that console produced its sound was entirely different.
1: It's quite diverse. It kind of depends on the who was implementing the, the the samples and stuff. So, uh man, we have some great music today. Let's let's move on to something. A very, very different tone from that (laughs) bubbly, happy piece of music. This is a little bit darker. This is from Professor Layton in the Curious Village which was the first game in the Professor Layton series. And the series composer is Tomohito Nishiura And wow, what a talented composer. Really established such a strong um, musical palette for this game. And what's, what's so exciting is uh, we're going to come back to the series later today and we're going to see how it has evolved. So let's take a listen to Saint Mystère from Professor Layton in The Curious Village. Listening to Saint Myster from Professor Layton in the Curious Village, composed by Tomohito Nishiura. Um Yeah, this is this is kind of tragic. It, it's very dark. Um, uh, it's maybe. Will would
0: you say it's maybe matching <laughs> the mood that we're, that we're having today? Yeah, possibly. Uh, If you guys are wondering why, um, uh, you know, last week we were just so thrilled and excited um, going through the Shin music, I don't want you to think it's not because uh, we're not thrilled about talking about the Nintendo DS. Um, But, you know, uh, at the time of recording, it's the day after election day and I think this has just been a particularly it's been a tough one draining uh, election season. season this year yeah. it's been very divisive and I think no matter what you know this isn't a show where we talk about that sort of thing but I think it, it did sort of shine a light on that uh, I think our country is possibly a little bit more divided than we had than we had necessarily yeah. estimated and
1: so I, I think, think We'll try to keep the energy up as much as we can today. You know, I think a track like this, um, it, you know, it, for some reason it feels more net. Like listening to that Kirby track, it it's almost like, oh wow, this is hard to to hear this right now. But we're gonna we're gonna be we're gonna be inspired hopefully in this next hour by some wonderful video game music. Um, this is so beautiful. We've we've played this track before on the show, and I think what we've said before, and it should be said again, is that it, it's great because it feels so European and kind of hits some of those European cliches that, you know, you hear in a lot of movies, but there still is this linkage to Japanese video game music, and I think it's it's just like a really interesting combination of styles.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we've mentioned before that we really want to do sort of a spotlight on the Professor Layton series because it has a very unique musical voice. Um, Maybe next month we could do that. Yeah, there's so much fantastic stuff throughout that series. But I agree with you, Carl. I really think uh, this composer strikes a nice balance in terms of capturing enough of the sort of European, to me, like French influence With not just uh, kind of the instrumentation of accordion, but really kind of the harmonic language as well, and the types of melodies that feel very much like, you know, old folk music, and they have this kind of earthy quality to it but surprisingly it's just the perfect fit for this uh puzzle game i remember mm-hmm. we played a lot of this music recently because we did a puzzle games episode and we mentioned a lot on that episode how the tone of the professor Layton music was so apt for that type of gameplay something that's very contemplative and uh intellectual and it's funny that we talked about it. this piece is a little bit tragic Um, And you know maybe you have different emotional reactions to it, but I I think it is the type of thing that you're supposed to digest a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, As a person, I mean, anyone hearing that Kirby track would know this is from a a game that's involving action and movement um, where this Professor Layton track, it it doesn't really make you feel like you need to get up and go anywhere. It's more sort of a contemplative thing. It's about sitting there and thinking.
1: Yeah, what's cool is this is really in my opinion the main theme of this first game because there's a lot of other tracks that use the same melody in a different arrangement a track like Puzzles um, or I think About Town I believe uses the same melody so uh, this is definitely my, my favorite and, and feels like the definitive version of this so I'm excited later today we're going to come back slightly towards the end of the playlist we're going to come back to the Professor Layton series and we're going to actually have a track that features real instruments so that's going to be fun to hear Nishira's, uh style with real players Um, Which is quite rare for the DS to have, you know, those kinds of recorded tracks. All right, uh, let's move on to the Castlevania series. And we're going to play a really fun piece of music. Uh, This is a track called Dracula's Tears. And it comes to us from the game Castlevania Dawn of Sorrow. I believe that was a collaboration between... Uh, Michiro Yamane, as well as uh, a series newcomer Masahiko Kimura. Now, Kimura was the composer of this track, and I think it's the most fun in Dawn of Sorrow. It, it's just a, it's just a blast because it's this really interesting combination. It kind of feels like it has some linkage to the Castlevania series, but it's a lot more groovy. It's almost like a dance party um, in the world of Castlevania. It's cool stuff. Let's take a listen to Dracula's Tears. You are listening to Dracula's Tears. This comes to us from Dawn of Sorrow, composed by Masahiko Kimura.
0: Will, when you hear this track, um, what does it remind you of? Well, it just makes me very nostalgic for the early days of our podcast um, because I remember we did a Castlevania episode. It was only our seventh episode of the show because I really think the Castlevania series is one of the things that inspired us to do this podcast in the first place. It was around the time when... um, because, you know, I, I, we didn't necessarily grow up playing the Castlevania games, and I had kind of gotten into retro video game collecting, and subsequently just really falling in love with the early Castlevania music. Um, because since it wasn't what I'd grown up with, I was just so delighted by all these incredible melodies that I know for most of you are probably things that you may have grown up with, or maybe you haven't, but they're very classic and near and dear to a lot of people. Well, there's, parts. yeah, a lot of
1: cool discoveries. This was one such discovery. I remember you were so excited to show it to me because it, it felt kind of carlish. I was
0: really excited to show it to you because, uh, well, to me, and just that the melody <laughs> has that kind of electric piano sound and that it is a little bit more groovy. This just... Yeah. Also, melodically, I can't explain it. This really feels like something that I could picture you writing, and I remember having that feeling back then. But I I totally feel it has that linkage to classic Castlevania, especially of the mature Yamane school. You know, to, in really, in the spirit of these games, they're really all borrowing from Symphony of the Night is kind of their... Template or, or guiding force is what they're trying to model it after, and, and the music has a, a similar sense to me, where it's capturing some of those, I guess, horror cliches of the older games, but especially in, in the more intro modern section, sounding yeah. rhythmic presentation. Well,
1: what you have—the intro section and the final bridge section—feel like they're classical, um, but the other sections are so much more like modern 80s pop. Uh, so very bluesy mm-hmm. So it does it does seem to be a good balance it doesn't seem like inappropriate for the series But it feels like you know, this is this is a new game. And so it, it definitely feels fresh. It's injecting some fresh energy in it uh, Love it. Love that track. It's a lot of fun Okay, now we're gonna move on to a track that uh, Will's a really big fan of this comes to us from the wonderful score Animal Crossing Wild World Which was a DS entry in the series composed by Kazumi Totaka as well as Asuka Oda. And we're going to play a very delicate and um, pretty piano, I guess, kind of a ballad maybe. Well, I mean, it is Nintendo month, so
0: we need to play some music from Nintendo composers. Let's do it. This is The Roost.
1: guys listening to the roost this comes to us from animal crossing wild world i believe this track was a totaka composition and it's interesting here um this is a case where for whatever reason uh the samples here are implemented in a way that sounds super primitive uh not not as good as a lot of piano sounds you would hear on the ds it's possible that was intentional um it's possible it wasn't but what's great is the music is so good that it doesn't matter
0: because all you're listening to are those beautiful melodies Well to me there's a childlike element to it to me it's supposed to sound kind of like Like an electric piano like a Wurlitzer or a Rhodes that hasn't been turned on You know, okay. you're just kind of hearing the sound of like the times it's that. a very um, light, non-threatening, uh, but almost childlike sound. A lot of this Animal Crossing DS music, uh, reminds me of kind of what Koji Kondo did in the Yoshi's Island games. And I know that, um, Kazumi Tataka had the experience of following in Koji's footsteps on games like Yoshi's Story and kind of, um, really experiencing experimental with um making music out of non-conventional instruments particularly for video games i I feel like he's pretty experimental in that regard and i do feel that he's someone who's um uh very intentional about his instrument choices and i think sometimes it can come across as Unpleasant or yeah, like it's sure. a mistake, but I, I really feel like he's someone who's incredibly intentional about his timbre. No,
1: well that's a good reminder. I I, I do think the fact knowing this Totaka, it is probably a hundred percent intentional, and there, it does give this this kind of additional cuteness to it or non-threatening quality to it. Yeah, there's like a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, yeah, it's very non-threatening. It's it's a beautiful piece, you know, and it's, it's great because it comes from kind of an unlikely source, you know, you listen to a lot of that soundtrack. It's really the only thing really like that. I can't think of another solo piano
0: piece in Wild World. And it has has unique character harmonically, too. A lot of the music that was composed for um, the Animal Crossing games feels distinct among Kazumi Tataka's Composing, because I know, for a fact, a lot of it was written on guitar. Yeah. And I think that influenced different types of melodies, different types of forms, different harmonies. Um, you know, Will, I picked this track for you. I know you really, you, you really uh, have a
1: soft spot for it. My f- personal favorite track is uh, New Year's Party. That's one that I just really, really enjoy, but I thought this would be a nice kind of change of pace to
0: have a nice little piano ballad. Um, so, yeah, this one's Well, I you. just love those sixth harmonies mm-hmm. on the melody. Yeah, dun, dun, it's dun. beautiful. It's very dramatic, and it feels kind of like, I don't know, an emotional scene in a 90s movie. Well, talk about dramatic and emotional.
1: We're going to continue that vein with this next piece of music. One of the most beautiful scores on the DS. Uh, it's one of those examples where... The composer here is is really kind of elevating what DS music can be to the point where this is just art. I mean, this is just beautiful video game music, and it happens to be on the DS, but it doesn't really matter. Honestly, this is Radiant Historia, comes to us from the legendary Yoko Shimomura. Let's take a listen to "Where the Wind and Feathers Return." This is beautiful. Here we go. listening to Where the Wind in Feathers Return from Radiant Historia by the very talented Yoko Shimomura. Radiant Historia is one of those just beloved soundtracks. Not sure how popular the game was. I know as a RPG came out in 2010 um, by Atlas, but I know that this is one of those soundtracks that people in the know, you know, people that, uh, you know, have good taste in VGM they are going to be very familiar with radiant historia it it's man it
0: is incredibly beautiful and artistic and when you listen to It almost sounded a little bit uh, elitist kind of like an elitist video game music people that are in the <laughs> know of yeah the just real no good just cuz i I've,
1: I've heard so many people gush over it the way that she's using oh, the ds pretty. here she's kind of oblivious almost to to how most people use it she's using it in a way that you're forgetting that it's even for, like this sounds like it could be on the PS2 or you know really what have you? It's just just beautiful video game music, and I love hearing the side of Yokoshima more. It's a side that I don't get to hear enough. Um, just how restrained it is. Uh, the thing about the Kingdom Hearts series is there's a couple moments here or there of of this level of um, simplicity. But most
0: of it is a little bit busier and more notey, uh, in, in my opinion. So I just love hearing this. Well, to me, what's interesting about a composer like Yoko Shimomura, it's almost like a band where they have an early hit single early on that kind of defines them. Um, <laughs> yeah. To me, she's always going to be most known and most beloved for creating the soundtrack to Street Fighter Two. I still think that's the best thing she's done, but I personally. Think, um, and she's done so much great work on the NES, Um, But I think to a lot of people, and I imagine to her, um, her own personal music identity probably tends to come out more in these RPG soundtracks and like Kingdom Hearts. That seems to be more where she's at home. And I think a, a whole new audience was introduced to her music that way. And what was so interesting for me since I grew up playing Street Fighter and not really as much those RPG titles. I mean, I played Mario RPG a little bit, um, but that kind of was like surprising to be like, wow, this is the same woman who composed for Street Fighter and now she's doing these really beautiful kind of ballads. I think the thing that's really
1: hard to, to sometimes grapple for me is that I think you're right. I think Kingdom Hearts is Yoko Shimomura's natural style. That's like what if she would choose to compose, I feel like that's way more natural for her. Street Fighter was something that she didn't even want to do at first. So Street Fighter was the project that she had to kind of stretch out and do something, you know, different than what she normally would. It just so happens that when she did that, I think the results are just, you know, legendary. So I would love for her to to go back to that sound more well, often.
0: And I do think there there's something um, uh, about her method of composition that's a little bit enlightening and shines uh, a flashlight a little bit on why we love eight and 16 bit music so much. I think it's that despite its coat of paint, the music underneath, you know, the notes and rhythms are simply beautiful. I've heard, uh, Manami Matsumai talk about this very thing but when she's composing melodies um, she's really focusing on the notes themselves at the piano and oftentimes right. she'll play them very slowly as if it's in a ballad and just trying to make sure that it creates a very beautiful effect and then she'll add in the groove and all the rhythmic elements even though that was never the intended presentation mm-hmm. and I feel like with Yoko Shimomura's music it's almost a more literal depiction of that concept we think of her fantastic melodies and Street Fighter, or in, in some soundtracks that she did on the NES that are, you know, very rocking and catchy and like a typical maybe Capcom style. Uh, but when we think of her later music, you know, it's very sophisticated and beautiful. But I imagine you could do like a Street Fighter remix of uh, some sort of uh, Kingdom Hearts song and vice versa. And those melodies sure. are durable enough to um, wear different hats. I actually remember that in the Yoko episode. There was some modern
1: soundtrack where i heard this fragment of like street fighter uh melodic stuff and it, it's so fun to, to go back to that so we'll, we're, go, we're gonna go back to yoko later today um she did some great stuff on the ds for sure all right now let's move on to dragon quest nine beautiful soundtrack comes to us from koichi sujiyama And we're going to play one of the opening pieces of music you hear in the game. Kind of feels like the main theme it's harkened to all over the place. It's Heaven's Prayer from Dragon Quest IX. Heaven's Prayer from Dragon Quest 9 for the Nintendo DS. I can only assume that there was an orchestral, <laughs> you know, uh, release of, of, of this music because there always is for the Dragon Quest series, even back to the 80s. This is f- composed by, of course, series composer Koichi Sujiyama. Really beautiful. I love hearing his music because you can just tell that he was writing it uh, for an orchestra the way that he would approach a film or a TV... And it's up to some technician <laughs> To implement it for the DS And that technician, whoever they were Did a good job Obviously Sujiyama is an amazing composer And it's really evident in a track like this You know, all the parts are really tasteful And it you know kind of uses the harp in a, in a really pleasing way But the melodies are super powerful and pure and simple That's what I like about this track I it's, agree It's the simplest melody in the game I think there's a lot of tracks I listened to and I liked and I thought about playing, but they were quite, you know, busy and frantic, and this was one where it's super, super simple, but in some ways that makes it more beautiful.
0: Yeah, it's it's really beautiful. It's something that I, I notice, and what I think is really cool about the Dragon Quest series is the composer you mentioned, Koichi Sujiyama, he's the composer on all of the Dragon Quest titles, and he's this yeah. sort of really esteemed composer in Japan. He's sort of like a national treasure. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, he's a legend. And so f- f- to have his involvement on this video game series, even extending back to the earliest games on the NES, is really cool, and it gives all of the soundtracks this cohesive quality because he has certain harmonies that I think he tends to like to use, particularly in this B section. Um, you can just... there's There's something about it that feels reminiscent of... The other Sujiyama music that you've heard And I think it's wonderful when there can be That sort of clarity and consistency um, Within a series Especially when it's so attributed to one composer I'm really curious about the process If this music was... If the reason why there were those orchestral editions because it was just scored for orchestra and then someone translated, I think it was. or if I, I, what really fascinates me, you know, because this music was done for eight bit consoles as well, if he was actually just writing out three part, um, like if was it notated? Like I, I'm really curious about what that process. It was probably like. depends on. I'm sure he got information
1: like, okay, th- these are the limitations of this system, but for the DS, they probably just said just. Do your thing, and we'll make it work. Uh, sure. It's going to be a sad day when when this gentleman passes on. He's he's the oldest. He won a Guinness World Record, I believe, the oldest video game composer. He's eighty five. He um, has had such an amazing career and just such a classy composer. If you want like sophistication in a video game, go to Sugiyama. That's the person, perfect person to go to. I know he was a huge inspiration for Uimatsu. Um, um okay so now we're going to completely change things up and play really like the de facto theme of the Nintendo DS. This is a track that comes to us from Koji Kondo even though the composers of this game are Asuka Oda and Hajime Wakai. This is from New Super Mario Brothers.
0: This was that fun little tidbit where I remember playing this game and be like gosh this music's really good um but well oh, I, mean, I guess this Koji track Kondo especially yeah I guess Koji Kondo wasn't involved and it wasn't until later I I I think it's like there was some concert where he was just playing themes of his and he started playing the New Super Mario Brothers theme and you're like oh I guess he wrote that one too just uncredited <laughs> which is the case yeah I think what's interesting
1: this is a little bit Polarizing. I mean, a lot of people, rightly so, and we have a lot of interesting opinions about the music of the series. Not all good, um, but people have some opinions about maybe the the instruments here. I, I, maybe I would say one thing I've heard a lot from people is how they don't like those kind of vocal bah bah those bah sounds they're they're, they're pretty annoying well, i've definitely heard that a lot from you i know you don't like that <laughs> i've i've seen various comments and things where people have been complaining about that but i think it's hard to deny the quality of this
0: melody it's so carefree and laid back and it has a perfect name it's walking the planes well and, and what i will say i didn't remember hearing any of those complaints until about the fourth entry in the quote-unquote <laughs> new super mario good Brothers point. series good point I, but at the time of this game i mean this was the bee's knees it was the first time we had a return to a 2d side-scrolling mario game since like super mario world so it it was really exciting and i i I remember i love this soundtrack the first time playing through
1: well yeah so well that's that's a good reminder let's all pretend we're back in the world of 2006 and let's take a listen to walking the Plains. You guys are listening to Walking the Plains from
0: New Super Mario Brothers, composed by Koji Kondo. This is one of my all-time favorite uh Koji Kondo melodies, and it's it's that great sensation of like, here's an artist where you feel like you've gotten all of their output, and then um <laughs> you I didn't even know there could be another classic, you know, Mario Brothers melody. Um, and lo and behold, uh, here it is. It's it's a return to kind of the Latin origins of the original series, um, but in a totally different style than when we think of the music for the original Mario Brothers series. But it feels so inextricably linked to that lineage. I I well, love I would like piece. to have a bonus episode
1: someday, and even if it, it wouldn't be an hour long, but it would be playing the overworld theme of every Koji Kondo Mario game, because what I love about it is some of these overworlds that he writes are pretty dang laid back. Like you're just strolling along slowly, and everything is okay. And Mario kind of seems like maybe he's you know had a lot of pasta last night, but it doesn't really matter because he's not going to go too fast. That's what I feel like when I listen to this. The Mario three overworld is another one where it's just so chill, you know.
0: Well, I've heard- and he really kind of contrasts that with the athletic themes. I've heard Koji Kondo talking about how he felt that you know Mario music needs to be kind of cool. And I always found that to be sort of cute hearing him talk about it, but I think I understand what he means, that it needs to feel... A, a lot of times I think people try to do impressions of this series and it starts to sound like Kirby, or it's really kind of tongue-in-cheek and cutesy. And that's not really Mario's identity to me. Mario is more kind of laid back. It's very sunshiny, but it's it's carefree in not, in not a way that to me ever feels... Um, too annoying. I think it's outstanding. Yeah. This is sort of right in between Super Mario Sunshine and Mario Galaxy. I mean, mm-hmm. um, a few years before Galaxy, years after Sunshine, and this music, um, even the tracks that weren't composed by Koji. Uh, Definitely, you can hear remnants of some of the things that happened in uh, Sunshine, even though this game is Asuka Oda and Hajime Wakai. There's some pieces in here that remind me of some of the Shinobu Tanaka stuff from Super Mario Sunshine or some of the Koji Kondo pieces. And there's some stuff Mm -hmm. that maybe... Um, you know, battle music or map music that kind of hints at what's going to come in some of the Galaxy games or the future New Super Mario Brothers games. It's exciting to listen and just to play this first game because I think there was no intention that this was going to be its own, like, side series. No, um, absolutely not. And also, there was no intention that this would be
1: <laughs> the theme of the whole series. Like, they keep, they keep using this over and over again
0: in every sequel they made. Um, so I don't think he thought of there's, that Yeah, there's almost not a definitive version Because this melody is so great But this particular version There's something about those guitars That I always found to be kind of cheesy Yeah, I, I,
1: I'm i not I mean, I, I, yeah, Will knows what I think I, I don't think there's a version that I like the implementation of I think the melody deserves more than, than what we got from it But, you know, I think it, it was a choice And it, it's definitely cute, for sure sure Uh, okay let's move on let's move on to something very different um we had an episode not too long ago maybe about a year or so ago on the etrian odyssey series and i love that series it was composed by yuzo kashira there were three games that came out for the ds and then it moved on to the 3ds so let's play just one track from the series you know i tried to be fair and diverse and stuff here you know i only going to play a track from the third game we're not going to play you know one from one two and three even though i think it's it's really awesome we're going to have plenty of other series on today so etrian odyssey 3 the drowned city let's take a listen to a really rocking piece called battlefield those that slay and fall composed by yuzo kashiro enjoy guys are listening to Battlefield, Those That Slay and Fall, from Etrian Odyssey 3, composed by Yuzo Kishiro. Gosh, I love this. I just think this is, it makes me so happy as a fan of video game music, knowing that Yuzo's out there, you know, fighting the good fight. He's composing this as, you know, as he does with almost every game he works on, on the PC-88. He composes his music uh, for a lot of these games on the PC-88, and he's actually using PC-88 instruments Combined with the DS, um, which is so fun because it feels classic, and especially for you know this RPG game, kind of feels like an old Japanese PC, you know RPG, just based on the sounds here. Sure. But then with the drums, uh, you have modern v- virtual instruments, so it's it's just a really fun combination. He's kind of keeping. The flame alive of, of classic video game music here.
0: Well, I mean, he did get his start in the Ease games and working for Falcom when he was really young, I believe, just yeah. like 18 or 19. 18. Yeah. Um, and working on the PC 88, which I think, I, I know you always really gravitated to the sound of those soundtracks because it was so yeah. similar to the sound of the Genesis. I think it's really fun that um, he's been in the business long enough. To see kind of this retro Appreciation revolution where Going back to that old technology Mm -hmm. There's now this like Hip factor And is he ever
1: like able to embrace that trend in a good way it's not a novelty it's not a gimmick like there's a lot of there's more things to say in this style you know like this is a track that I love because he wouldn't have been able to write these kinds of chord changes at age 18 you know he's a better composer
0: sure when this game came out so it really you hear kind of um, the fe- his craft has improved I think that's kind of an interesting point I imagine a lot of times conversations about the Etrian Odyssey sound Soundtracks are kind of overshadowed by this idea that, oh, it's using these retro sounds. He's going back to an older style. But I think that's an interesting point that he's actually improved as a composer. So you're getting to hear him with this facility of those... um, Older sounding, you know, synthesizer noises. Yeah. Um, but with maybe a slightly more sophisticated sense of composition. And I mean, just not even in terms of as a composer musically, but in terms of experience as a video game composer and. Possibly better instincts for how to score. I think so. Situation. I mean, I think that the music to the
1: *Etrian Odyssey* series is just incredible. I'm a huge fan of it. Uh, Let's move on to um, one of my favorite composers. I think both Will and myself, when it comes to video game music, Naoshi Mizuta. It's great to have a Naoshi track in this playlist. You always know it's going to be a good playlist when you can have a Naoshi track. He scored the the interesting soundtrack to *Final Fantasy: The Four Heroes of Light* which obviously came out for the DS, and I paired this next to the Etrian Odyssey track because it reminds me of, of that approach. He was combining in this soundtrack old kind of uh, pulse and you know chip sounds mixed with a little bit more modern kind of samples, sometimes orchestral samples. So it's a really cool combination. It feels classic, and there's a love of old-school game music but it also feels fresh. So let's take a listen to a really beautiful uh, emotional piece called Horn, the Home of the Wind. Here we go. So much love (laughs) for this piece, music. This is Horn, the Home of the Wind, composed by the wonderful Naoshi Mizuda from Final Fantasy, The Four Heroes of Light. And what you have is you have, uh, at the end there, you had some of those bells and then you had a mandolin. Other than that, it's all 8-bit sounds here and it's so beautiful. And it's cool because, you know, if you you didn't have this implemented with those 8-bit instruments it definitely feels like an orchestral typical kind of final fantasy emotional ballad like a really you know intimate character theme um so it's cool that we get that but we also get
0: this additional kind of you know maybe technical coat of paint that makes us smile i love those chords i love those harmonies um the melody is beautiful uh something i think is interesting is again those sounds are meant to remind us of you know the nes um but the way that this is composed in terms of the number of channels playing at one time and obviously the way everything is like panned and everything it's not something that could have been produced in that same way on the nes and that's not even counting uh some of the other you know like More real mandolin samples and those chimes and everything. But it gives us our feeling of what our memory of that music is. I think there's an interesting phenomenon here that we've noticed in the last track and this track. And what I think it is, is that back in the 80s and 90s, composers were tasked with creating music for these very primitive pieces of technology that had limited sound capabilities, and they were constantly trying to push the boundaries and make it feel as if it was more human yeah and so I think they I imagine they always had an idea in their mind of what the music was supposed to sound like, but what 's interesting is as the technology increased, and some of those same composers were trying to bring their musical style. In now, augment it with real instruments. I think sometimes there was this challenge of making it feel cohesive with the older stuff. And what I think is interesting about this example and the Etrian Odyssey example is that they're almost just choosing to um, go back to the past and just use those old chip sounds because I think they're starting to realize, you know, even though they that those tools were being used out of necessity they actually give a lot of the emotional character to right. that music it's a very specific sound and it's something that when separated from the music um it, it almost loses a bit of identification to some of those themes i think and especially when you're writing new music to a new entry in a series and you want it to feel cohesive with what's come in the past sure. that's kind of a a quicker tool to make it feel like it's part of that same
1: world. Well, we're going to move on to something very different. I tried to make this playlist with a lot of uh, diversity as far as tone goes. So now let's move on to series Super Robot Tyson in the game in this series that was released for the DS. I think there was a few, but we're going to play a track from OG Saga. So Super Robot Tyson, OG Saga, and really good soundtrack with a lot of blood pumping music. Composers here are... Kayoko Matsushima, Neofumi Tsuruyama, as well as Takahiro Kamikawa. Let's take a listen to Ash to Ash. guys listening to ash to ash this comes to us from super robot tyson og saga composed by matsushima tsuryama as well as kamikawa and this this is cool because this is kind of the style that i expect from 16-bit era video game music so this feels like kind of like taking that energy and moving it to a new generation sure and in doing so um, it is taking it to new heights, because there are elements of this track, some some of it technically, some of it uh, implementationally, some of it compositionally, where it does feel like it's taking that kind of classic 16-bit uh, rocking energy to new heights. So this does feel
0: like um, you can kind of tell this this was composed in the era that it was. Well, what I think is so fun about these Nintendo handhelds is that they kind of got to extend almost the lifespan of certain types of (laughs) games or certain series from the Super Nintendo. I mean, I remember being a kid and playing Game Boy Advance games that felt like spiritual sequels to SNES games way long after that console was dead, and the DS continued that. For us, it got to extend certain types of video game music.
1: You know, there's a reason to write this kind of music. 'Cause you have a game like this on the DS, you know, and I know this series has entries on other consoles and I, I would have to, you know, listen to them to hear the differences, but I just have a feeling something about approaching it on the DS, it's it's gonna be approached the same way that it would be on the SNES. It's just trying to trying to up the ante from what we've you know, what we've had in previous generations. So fun, fun stuff. Guys, I am very excited to move on to this week's track of the week. Obviously, if we're going to have a track of the week, eh, why not just have it a Koji Kondo track, right? (laughs) It is Nintendo month after all. Can't really go wrong with that choice. This is a piece of music from The Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks. And you might be like, wait, what? Koji Kondo composed that? Yes, he composed the entire score all by himself. Anyway, let's move on. No, I'm just kidding. He did not. Uh, He only composed one track, and it was the credits theme. And it is incredibly just on the nose. It's just it's on the money, exactly what you need for this game. It's a little bit swashbuckling, it's rousing, um it's beautiful, and this is another example. It kind of reminds me of The Radiant Historia, not like it musically at all, but he's kind of elevating what DS music should be in a way. So let's take a listen to the credits from Spirit Tracks. Konda, we need you in our lives <laughs> we really really do now more than ever you guys are listening to credits from Zelda Spirit tracks it's by far the best piece of music in spirit tracks and I don't it just goes to show you that when you get the master when you get the maestro to come back it's it's gonna be good in a way that really no one else c- c- can do this is just a classic Zelda theme it reminds me of ocarina. Reminds me of Link to the
0: Past, definitely reminds me of Wind Waker, but it's, this is amazing. Well, and now we're transitioning into a medley of uh, themes from this game. This particular melody that we're hearing right now... It was actually uh, composed by Toru Minagishi, um, and that's what, what's so great about this. In the fashion of uh, video game end credits music, it seeks into other themes. What I think is so brilliant about this piece, to me, it's um, particularly you know Koji's work in the beginning. Um, it's the kind of thing that it just gets better every time you listen to it, and it becomes more classic. But it's this—I imagine—a really surreal experience for him. Because uh, Wind Waker, which is what this game is kind of, you know, uh, Phantom Hourglass and this were kind of the spiritual successors to that. Uh, Wind Waker, he wasn't very heavily involved with as a composer or music director. But the composers that worked on it had a lot of reverence to his original themes and his style but then when he comes in to write this theme for spirit tracks he's almost it's like a game of telephone where now he's trying to settle in to that kind of swashbuckling musical landscape that composers like you know kenta nagata and hajime wakai established it's just it's just perfect, yeah. It's familiar, but also new, and that's exactly what you want for a credits theme. And he the nails those kind of harmonies that feel specific to Zelda in the way that he references his main theme. It's almost as if he's like a new composer referencing a yeah. classic theme by someone else. You know, we gotta pay reverence. Uh, that's, I mean, there's
1: a reason. I do think this is the best piece of music today, but in addition to that, I mean, not just Nintendo, but Koji Kondo is one of the reasons why we even started this podcast, so you gotta pay... You know, reverence to the master. All right, let's move on. We're going to go back to Yoko Shimomura, and we're going to play a track that she composed for the Kingdom Hearts series. There was a DS game in this series that came out. It was called Kingdom Hearts 358 and a Half Days. Okay, interesting title there. Let's take a listen to a track we've never played so far. This is Vector to the Heavens. This is beautiful stuff from a very perplexingly titled game Kingdom Hearts. Will thinks it's 358 over 2 or divided by 2. Know. That I'm... makes even less sense to me than 35, 358 and a half. Guys, send us a tweet.
0: Why is this game called that? Uh... This whole series is... it blows my mind that it exists because it takes characters from the Final Fantasy series and... Disney characters and puts them in a world together with music by Yoko Shimomura. To me it's one of those things I, I still don't I like I pinch myself every time I see a Kingdom Hearts game because I I can't believe they they arranged that. They they somehow were able to coordinate between all those companies right. and all those franchises. This has got it's mean, amazing. we should we should just talk a little. I mean this is a beautiful
1: piece of music. I think it's a lot more melodically clear ...and coherent than a lot of the Kingdom Hearts music. It's very notey and busy, like what I was alluding to earlier, isn't it? It's incredibly busy, but I think there's there's a lot of purity here to the melody, and really it is, I think, one of the most beautiful tracks that I've heard from the series. I was really glad I found this, because I wanted to play something new. Um, I think we did play something from this in our Yoko episode... I believe, or well, it,
0: it, fear, it feels very um, of the kind of Japanese film music tradition, which I think is something mm-hmm. you could say about a lot of the Kingdom Hearts music. The heavy reliance on piano, um, sure, it, all of her music is just so emotional and um, lush. And you this know series.
1: what's what's cool is I actually organized a little pocket of Yoko today, so we actually have a back to back Yokoshima um, section of the playlist here and let's play something so different and this is from a Nintendo game so she did some great work in the Mario and Luigi series as I'm sure you guys know uh, let's play a track for Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story this just feels like a classic Mario waltz this is waltz in the lake Uh, track it's very potent and just powerful it's super short and simple but it kind of almost gets the territory of like a classic koji mario waltz um, as far as just how every note is in the right
0: place at the right time there's no fat on on this track. Well, it reminds at all. me more of the Zelda series than the Mario series. I, obviously, I think it is trying to tap into the Koji Kondo world. I guess you're right about um, that. Yeah, but harmonically and just in terms of some of the contours of the melody, that da da da, um, that it ultimately lands on feels more like Zelda. Well,
1: because yeah, in a Mario platformer game, th- where would there even be a
0: <laughs> place for a track like this? You're right. I mean, the only waltz is conventionally, I think, of kind of like an underwater level, and this doesn't necessarily feel that way, but it feels classic, and, you know, it also reminds me of her work on the original Super Mario... RPG I think it's really cool again Yoko Shimomura a composer wearing so many different hats we all know um, her at least uh, Carl and myself and Marty we grew up knowing that name from Street Fighter 2 but Mm -hmm. then a lot of people are big fans of Kingdom Hearts but then now she also has this identity as being kind of the nintendo rpg composer um mm-hmm. so it, it's really interesting i think she's uh, very versatile we've talked before she has a lot of classical influence in her music but she can wear different hats and they all fit well in her head.
1: All right, now we're <laughs> going to move on to. Um, I really like this series. There's a couple games came out. The first one was for the DS, and then I believe there was one for the Wii. This is Rhythm Heaven, and it's really goofy but fun and energetic music. Well, you'll remember this. So we had an episode, it may have been dance music, uh, something like that. And the Rhythm Heaven's music has this tendency to come on a dime. It changes between like swung and straight or, like, it even will, like, change tempo and then change back in a really kind of distracting way, but I think it's part of the gameplay. Um, you know, it's, it's a rhythm game. So let's see if we can listen to that uh, change here. Gotta keep you on your toes. Absolutely. Let's take a listen to Remix 10, composed by Masami Yone from Rhythm Heaven. the place. So many different sections that change on a dime. The, this actually wasn't I think I think I kind of misinformed you guys. This wasn't the track I was thinking of. There's a couple other ones where, where it changes from swing to straight. You guys are just going to have to research that. This one just my my changes m- uh, in, in <laughs> tone musically. <laughs> yeah. Definitely changes. In general the hashtag changes when it comes to Rhythm Heaven music. I love this track, though. I think boom, boom, I think the rhythms are super groovy and catchy. It's really uh, fast-paced, and it feels like the person is on like a lot of caffeine who composed
0: this. Well, I love all those different sort of... Uh, what feel to me like analog synth uh, sounds. Cool um, sounds here. Feels somehow connected to classic video game music, but also feels... Um, a little bit more legit than that Because they they don't necessarily uh, Unlike some of the music we've heard today It doesn't sound like they're trying to model Like an old console or computer machine Like it more sounds like Analog synth Based dance music I mean that main theme is that, that, uh,
1: Really catchy rhythms there I think rhythmically you know, Duh, no pun intended The rhythms here are really kind of uh, The star in rhythm heaven. In rhythm heaven. That's that's my that's my idea of heaven, right? Alright, let's move on to another track that comes from the wonderful mind of Yuzo Kashiro. I love the soundtrack to Seventh Dragon. It's it might be obscure. I'm not sure how many of you guys are familiar with this, but I love Seventh Dragon. I would love to have a spotlight on this. I'd have to convince Will. I have to do some convincing, <laughs> I think, for Will. Um, but it's it's a great soundtrack that feels like it's kind of continuing the energy of the Etrian Odyssey stuff. Um, and actually, An entire episode of Yuzo Koshiro. Oh boy, Will's favorite. Yeah. Um, it it kind of even continues as far as like I think he incorporates some old school sounds with some new stuff. Um, but this is just a great battle track. This is battlefield swords bursting from Seventh Dragon. You guys are listening to Battlefield Swords Bursting. This feels like a classic battle track to me. I wish this was more popular, because this is better than a lot of his work in the E-series, to be honest. I think Seventh Dragon's one of the best things he's done. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I really love the implementation. That's, that lead instrument is so fun. Feels kind of old school, but also new, as far as that there's reverb on it, and it's just really cool combination of, of sounds and... I just think it's good writing. I just I can't not love Yuzo Koshiro. It's just energetic and just always fits the bill for me.
0: Yeah, I think this has a great melody that starts off almost kind of uh, minimal, but it really gives you I think everything that you would want in a classic rocking yeah. uh, video game music track. I think I something that Yuzo Koshiro is really good at doing is presenting the things that um, a lot of us really loved about the 8 and 16 bit era, but in a context that still feels like it can carry its own weight in I guess this isn't modern anymore but in 2009, you know, a modern game. Really, really
1: awesome stuff. Alright guys, uh, we have a few more tracks today. Let's move on. We, We alluded to this earlier. It's time to go back to the Professor Layton series. Let's go back to an entry. It was I'm not sure what number, maybe three or four. It was Professor Layton Unwound Future. And it was released for the DS. And this features at least this main theme here, uh, real recording with real performers, and it. it's so beautiful. This is Theme of the Last Time Travel, again composed by Tomohito Nishiura. Enjoy, guys. Yes, we're still in the Professor Layton series. Don't you forget it. You guys are listening to Theme of the Last Time Travel, the main theme from Unwound Future composed by Tomohito Nishura. I gotta say, his music really comes alive when you get some real players to play it. Um, This is amazing. Yeah, we we gotta have a Professor
0: Layton episode. It's just, it's an injustice to not do that. Beautiful. It's it's crazy to hear um, in each iteration uh, technically in terms of, I guess, their budget um, with these games uh, how much more advanced they're able to become. I remember uh, in that Puzzle Games episode we played something from, I believe, a 3DS entry and it had just this beautiful, lyrical, yeah, uh, orchestral sound to it. This one seems to feature more kind of uh, individual soloists, but real musicians nonetheless, which is such a step up. Uh, but musically, what's so great is this whole series has this cohesive kind of French-European Sound, and I think it was—it's um, a choice that was obviously meant to go along with the narrative aspects of this series. But I have to say, for this is um, a particular series that's had an enduring success, and I think it's probably because of the mechanics of the game. But it's the way that the music reinforces those mechanics—that's always a hard marriage, I think, in any medium. And the Professor Layton series seems to have struck on something particularly unique, in my opinion. Absolutely. Well, we have this little pocket of
1: kind of beautiful, maybe slightly sad music, um, <laughs> which is interesting. Let's move on to a soundtrack I'm stoked for Will to, to listen to here. So this is Luminous Arc, and it was composed by Yasunori Mitsuda, as well as Akiri Kaida And I believe maybe some other musicians worked on this game. I'm a really big fan of Akiri Kaida. She worked on Rockman and Forte, among other things, Breath of Fire 3. Um, And we don't need to, you know, Will knows exactly. Yasunori Mitsuda, one of the the best video game composers, did Chrono Trigger, Chrono Cross, so many great stuff. Uh, Mario Party, just classic. (laughs) The list goes on, right? All right, let's play Ancient Myth, beautiful track from Luminous Arc. Wow, this is Ancient Myth from Luminous Arc, a new discovery for the podcast. I wasn't familiar with the score, so I'm really glad we got to do this episode because it introduced me to a beautiful soundtrack. Will, what are your thoughts on
0: this, man? It's really beautiful. There's some very evocative uh, and attractive harmonies in here that feel so sophisticated, even for Yasunori Mitsuda, who I know you and I both adore from the Chrono series. Um, but this particular, it's funny going from that Professor Layton track because this one also has a European flavor to it. I mean, obviously, a lot of times when we're talking about classical music, it's European, I guess, in general, but almost kind of the more ethnic side of European folk music. I get some of those uh, aspects from this. And mm-hmm. still that kind of a, a French vibe I'm getting maybe just because it's very um, there's a lot of expression it, it feels kind of like uh, a little bit like impressionist or something right um, but very beautiful uh, again and I there's something I just get a real kick out of hearing music like that on a DS or on a Super Nintendo yeah, or a Playstation I'm a or, sucker for know, that you know with those kind of more general MIDI sounding instruments
1: yeah I don't know guys but it's it's like Extra impressive You know Because I mean I know it's difficult To r- to write well, You know you're just Listening to the music
0: And it's own merits right. Rather than You know performance I mean
1: I'm not saying Anything disparaging Against you know Writing for the orchestra Is difficult Recording is difficult Playing is difficult But when you listen To an orchestra You expect Beautiful music I mean maybe that's unfair But to get beautiful music on a DS is not expected to me. So I don't know. It's, it's just impressive in a different way. Maybe, maybe not better. It's just different. Um, Alright, guys, we're gonna. Last track of the day is. I didn't mean to have another Yuzo Kushiro track, really. This comes to us from Castlevania Portrait of Ruin, and that was another collaboration, Michir Yamani and Yuzo Kishiro this time. And he. I didn't realize this was a composition of his. I assumed it was hers because it feels super on the nose. Let's take a listen to Dance of Sadness from Castlevania Portrait of Ruin. Guys, thanks a lot for joining us as we explored music of the Nintendo DS. Tried to play some of the best music we could find. Uh, Did some research, you know, trying to pick some of the most beloved soundtracks. Obviously, a lot of great stuff we had to cut. We just didn't have time to play anything more than 20 tracks. A couple things, you know, a few other Professor Layton stuff we didn't get to. The Ace Attorney series. Really sorry we didn't get to it. We. There's there's cool stuff but you know, when I compared it to this I just I just kinda fell short. There's also
0: music from Phantom Hourglass and the Nintendo Harvest Moon D S games that are really beloved other Pokemon stuff, so we'll
1: we'll come back to it. Mercado Radios would be another good thing. Guys, we're going to play you out with a track that we'll discovered years ago from Major DS Dream Baseball. We want to leave you guys with a really fun and positive note, which is what we try to do with this podcast in general. Um, Yeah, uh, let's all just try to love each other as much as possible. That's that's kind of
0: going to be my mantra here going forward. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it'll be hard for me to love you, but everyone else... We're going to try our best, yeah. Let's all love each other, guys. No, I... I'll, I I I want to say it on the show I I love you I love you as well, man. Well, and we love all of you. All we of do love the, all you guys. You, our okay, loyal so listeners. another
1: happy, fun thing is Gamers Rhapsody, which is a fast approaching. So this is going to go up on Monday the 14th. This Friday, if you guys are listening to it, the 18th, you can come out to Gamers Rhapsody. We're going to be performing video game music live. Some of these tunes we're performing I don't think have ever been played live, so that's exciting. Uh, we're also doing a panel the next day on inspirations of game music. Let's see. You can follow us on Twitter at Mercado Bros. We're on iTunes. Uh, you can subscribe to us there. Facebook, uh, like us there. Uh, our website is SuperMercadoBros dot com. You can find our original music and our podcast there. And I think that
0: just about does it. We're going to play you out with. I feel like we're we're really we're doing some cool things. We're we're yeah. blowing up. It's, I finally, it's fun I, times. I don't feel ashamed to talk to my parents about, you know, doing this podcast <laughs> thing. There's a lot of things in the docket. All right. This is BGM 10 for Major DS. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Have a great week, everybody. Peace out.